Good morning, Bridge. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about breaking the bad in our life. Who's for that? Who's for it? I don't let y'all vote on much. I'm letting you vote on this. Who's for breaking the bad in your life? All right, we're going to talk about what, it, what blessings mean to be blessed, to live the blessed life, to walk under the spout where the blessings are coming out. Who wants to live there? And we're going to talk about what it means to live life under a curse. And you're like, hey man, I've kind of heard about that before. I've heard that language before. I know that language is in the Bible. But some of the teaching I've heard about that sounds a little weird and sounds like, uh, you know, uh, something like a voodoo kind of stuff, you know, and I don't want to live under a curse. And we're going to talk about what that means. We're going to talk about that in a very practical sense. So if you're going to put something on social media, use the hashtag Breaking Bad. And uh, also remember, if you want these sermon notes, we'll be happy to provide those for you, the very manuscripts we preach from uh, in this series. And uh, there's the email address you use for that. So we're really happy you're here today. We're really glad if you're visiting with us, you're our guest today. We're very happy you're here we have a free gift for you after the service. It's an 8 by 10 glossy of me. <laughs> you can hang it under your carport and the flies will stay away. All right, um, let's get right into the Word of God today. Let's get into a verse that we've all heard, we've all read, we've all heard quoted, heard preached on, we've heard it taught about, but usually not in the context of what we're going to talk about today. Go to Psalms, the book of Psalms. Look in uh, chapter 127 and look at verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. How many of you have heard that verse before? How many of you know churches always use that when they're, when they're doing a building program and they want you to give money? <laughs> so, um, you know, that can be applied there. Uh, that certainly is not in the context of what that's talking about. We want to talk about it in this series more in the context that it was meant in this passage or in this particular verse. Notice what the word house means. Unless the Lord builds the generations, unless the Lord is allowed to have influence in the offspring of a home, the generations of a house, then really nothing good is going to be able to come out of that. All your labor, all your work is in vain. What God wanted won't happen if God doesn't build the house. Let's go to another scripture in the New Testament, the book of John chapter 8, and Jesus is talking here. Let's look at verses 31 through 34. So Jesus was saying to the Jews, who had believed him. These are Jews who had believed him. He said, if you want to know you're one of my disciples, here's the test. If you're a true disciple, and we should, uh, we should get hold of this, because we use that word disciple really loosely sometimes. Here's what Jesus said a disciple is. A follower, a learner. You, you know, being a disciple doesn't mean you just go to church. I'm a disciple of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. You are a learner. Really, that word disciple means you are a learner with the idea of practicing what you learn. Living it out, what you learn. So let's read that verse. 
So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, and that means if you continually obey my teachings and live in accordance with them, then, everybody say the last part, you are truly my disciples. You know, we could stop right there and really preach a while on that verse, couldn't we? Because we use word like disciple very loosely. i got to tell you, man, we use the word Christian very loosely. You know, when you hear statistics of how many Christians there are in the world, i got to tell you, man, the definition they use for Christian is not the definition Jesus uses for Christian. Just because you're in a religious system or a denomination that calls itself Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Everybody know that? I heard an African-American preacher preaching and he was under the anointment. I heard him say, don't blame me for what I say when the anointment's on me, amen. He said, you know, going to a certain church, being a member of a certain church doesn't make you a Christian any more than if you took all these little kittens and put them in the oven, they would be biscuits. Just because they in the oven don't mean they're biscuits. Just because we're in church, are y'all with me today? Doesn't mean we're Christians. Christians are people who have chosen Jesus. Jesus already chose us. We choose him. We give our life to him. We repent of our sins. We trust the cross. We trust the empty tomb. We become Christians. And then after we become Christians, we grow in our following of him, our discipleship. Let's move on to the next verse. Verse 32. So if you'll do that, you will know the truth regarding salvation. That's what I was really just talking about. You'll know the truth regarding salvation, and the truth will do what? Not put you under a curse, not put you in bondage. The truth, when you obey it, when you receive it, when you walk it out, will set you free from the penalty of sin. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We're Jews and have never been enslaved to anyone What do you mean by saying you will be set free? And of course, they misunderstood him. They were confused. They were even offended by what he said. And then Jesus answers them in the very next verse or verse 34. Jesus answered, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, everyone who practices sin is going to uh, experience the fallout from sin. That's the Pharaoh Hardison version. Say to you, everyone who practices sin habitually is a slave to sin. How many of you know we all mess up? We all fail. But he says when you practice it habitually, then you become a slave to sin. Three things are clear in God's word. The idea of blessings, living a blessed life. The idea of cursed or living a cursed life, that's a reality. That's a truth. We're going to dig into it in this series. It is your choice which one you get. So you can live a blessed life or a cursed life. It's your choice which one of these lives you live. Finally, your current choices, the choices you're making now, the choices even you've made in the past, the choices you will make tomorrow, not only impact you, but they impact generations to come in your offspring. Very powerful. We'll dig into it. So what we're going to talk about is how to ensure that you're passing on blessings. That you're passing on blessing to your children and to their children and to their children. We're going to talk about how to break the bad 
in our lives and live a life of light, a life of joy, not only for us, but to pass that on again to our descendants. Six key spiritual truths we will cover today. Number one, number one, there is a real and powerful spiritual world in control of everything. You understand that, that the supernatural is real. If you want me to freak you out just a little bit today, let me tell you that above your head in the spiritual world, there is a war going on for this service right here. People are like, whoa. There is a war going on in the heavenlies. There's a war going on in the spiritual realm for this worship service. Have you ever been to church when it just kind of looked like everything didn't work right, nothing flowed, nothing was working right, everything was breaking, and the media team back there said, amen, glory. Sometimes I believe that is a spiritual battle. I'm not saying it is every time, but I believe the enemy will use whatever he can to mess up your life, to mess up your joy, to mess up the gathering of God's people in a house like this, to mess up the joy and to mess up the moving of the Holy Spirit. So we know that beyond the natural world that we connect with through our five senses, we touch it, we see it, we smell it, we feel it, we hear it. There is a very real supernatural world at work. It's like the wind. We've seen a lot of news about the wind lately. You can't see the wind, but you certainly can see the effects of the wind. Two things about the supernatural. The reason it is most important, even more important than the natural, is because it is eternal. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 18. So we fix our eyes. Listen to this. This is the Word of God. We, the bridge, you who are visiting, all of you who are sitting here today, hear this word. How many of you believe that nothing is coincidental? You are here today for a particular reason. You are here today to hear this message. Look what God is saying to you, what he's saying to me right now. Pharaoh Hardison, you guys, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on what is natural, but we are to fix our eyes on what is supernatural, what is what? unseen for what is seen is what temporary but what is unseen is forever eternal what's more permanent this podium that we can see touch and feel or God you know the answer to that God is more real this will pass away God will always be and listen so will you You are eternal. Everybody in this room is going to live on somewhere. You're going to live on forever somewhere. And that's your choice. The supernatural world is not just eternal. It is powerful. Look at Ephesians 6 and 12. Paul says, for we struggle. We have a struggle. We are followers of Jesus, so we're going to struggle. Our struggle is not against what we see, touch, and feel Our our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against, everybody say it, powers of this what? Dark world and against the what? Spiritual forces of evil in the what? Heavenly realm. God says fix your eyes on that. That's where the battle is. It's not with what you can see, touch, and feel. If you want to live the blessed life, if you want to live a life under blessing and not a life under curses, then you're going to fix your eyes on the, on the, on the supernatural world. 
But what do most men and women, boys and girls, have their eyes on? The natural. They focus on the natural. Matter of fact, they get really nervous and antsy when you talk about, what about eternity? What about eternity? Well, I've got stuff, and here's what's going on in this world. This world's going to pass. What about eternity? So rather than reacting to the people and circumstances of the seen world, we should look to the unseen world and start obeying God and his word. Now that's number one, the first spiritual truth. There's a real and powerful spiritual world in control of everything. I'm glad to ask Pastor Jim Wall to come now. And he's going to give you some more truths to give it up for Pastor Jim. And then I'm going to come back. And anything he messed up, I'm going to fix it right at the end. <laughs> and that's a dangerous thing to give microphone to two long-winded preachers, I'm going to tell you what. But I promise this is an old-school domino sermon. If we can't deliver it in 30 minutes, you get it free. <sighs> but that's 30 minutes apiece, Farrell, right? That's what that is. So what did Pastor Farrell just tell us? He says that there is a very real spiritual world, and it's really what's in charge of everything. Can I get an amen in the house? Can we get agreement on that one? The second truth you need to understand is that God is in charge of all of it. I thought I'd get more amens than that. God is in charge of all of it. And I, I got to say that because we live in a world that would have you believe that there are two equal and opposing forces at work, darkness and light, good and evil, and you never really know which one's going to win. In fact, all of us have some of both in us, and it really doesn't, you don't know who's going to win. The yin-yang theory of uh, of looking at the world, and I need to tell you that if you believe that, somebody's taught you a lie. It simply isn't true. God is in charge of all of it. Satan can't do anything without God giving him permission or allowing him to do it. Even in the days of the Old Testament, when Satan wanted to go after Job, he couldn't do anything that God didn't allow him to do. So let's lean into this one. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, what do he say? All. all how much authority? All. What, what does all mean? All. It means all. All authority in heaven and on earth. Where? That's everywhere. That's in the heavenlies and that's on the earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to who? Jesus Christ himself. Now, lean into this because this is huge on a practical level. That means that once you side with Jesus… Once you make him Savior and Lord of your life, Satan has no authority in your life whatsoever. There ought to be some excitement in the house about that one. Once you take sides with Jesus, all authority has been given to him, and you come under that umbrella of blessing. He, Satan has no authority in your life except that which you give him. Hello, are you out there? Is this microphone on? What did, what did Pastor, Jim, uh, Pastor Farrell just tell us? Uh, Jesus said, when you hear and obey my teachings, you are free. But when you hear and don't obey, when you sin, you are what? You're a slave to that sin. And we all know that. I mean, we've all uh, seen that happen before. If you have any experience uh, in your own life or in the lives of people that you know with drugs and alcohol, you know how it works. It starts out with pleasure, right? 
and then it very quickly moves to it's the only way you can have pleasure, and then it moves to there's no pleasure in it, you're just trying to survive, and then it moves to, well, you'll do anything to get what once was pleasurable, and that's the digression of sin. But, but let's use an example that we can all relate to, whether you've ever had an experience with drug and alcohol or not. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 7. I like the way the message paraphrases it. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge, and don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry, because why? Verse 27, what's it say? You want to read it out loud with me? Come on, one, two, three, go. Don't give the devil that kind of authority in your life. Did I mention that once you give your life to Jesus Christ, Satan has no authority in your life except that which you give him? What's he saying? Being angry isn't bad. Anger is energy. And anger says, oh, I got to do something. How many ever got mad? How many ever lied in church? We all get mad. And what happens when you get mad? You want to do something fast. You want to clean fast. You want to drive fast. You want to hit something hard. It's energy. Anger is energy. And so that's not a bad thing. It's what you do with that energy. Do you hold on to it and do you direct it for revenge? Do you hold on to it and say, I'm going to get even? What do you do with that energy is the only question at hand. And he's saying that if you, if you use that energy as fuel for revenge, you just gave Satan authority in your relationships. Now, what's his agenda? To steal, kill, and destroy. So there's no way that your relationship can be whole and healthy and full and loving and joyful if you're continuing to give Satan authority in that area of your life. So the simple solution is don't sin. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. Hope you have a good lunch. (laughs) Or keep short accounts with God. When you do confess it, oh God, I blew it on that one. Oh, Lord, help me. Forgive me. And the Bible says he will forgive. Keep short accounts with God. Make sure you stay on his side. Here's what I want you to hear on this point. I got to move on. When you approach life this way, there is no reason to be afraid of the devil. When you approach life the way we're talking about, there is no reason to be afraid of the devil. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power love and self-discipline. I don't have to be afraid of the devil. Say it with me. I don't have to be afraid of the devil. Say it like you mean it. I don't have to be afraid of the devil. Look at somebody and say, you don't have to be afraid of the devil unless you are giving him authority in some area of your life. In fact, I suggest to you that if you're going to be afraid of anything, be afraid not to do life God's way. Because there is a very real and powerful spiritual world operating, and God is in charge of it. Ready for truth number three? Truth number three is the Bible is the standard for everything. Every blessing or curse, every life or death that comes into our lives comes on the basis of God's Word. He set that as the owner's manual, the standard. Let me give you one verse. Give you tons of them, but let me give you one that's critical to understand this. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14. In the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
the Word became a human and lived among us. Who's that verse talking about? Anybody know? Talking about Jesus. Jesus came to bring us the message about God. Jesus is the message about God. When Jesus came and he, he emptied himself of the glories of heaven that were rightly, rightfully his because he loved us and he took on the form of a servant and he served all the way to death and the worst possible kind of death and he died the death for you, that's demonstrating the message of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus is the word. He is the message of God. Got it? We, we together? So follow me. What did Pastor Farrell tell us? If you obey me, if you obey my words, Jesus said, if you obey the word of God, they're all synonymous, then what happens? Well, come on, you know what happens. You're free. But if you don't obey me, Jesus, obey the Bible, obey the word of God, then you become a slave to your sins because you gave Satan authority in that area of your life. Let me lean in just a little bit before we move on. What that says to me is if I'm not willing to obey God's Word in an area of my life, then I have to be willing to accept that God cannot bless that area of my life. He's bound by His Word. He can't contradict himself. He is the Word, and he's not capable of lying. So, so apply that to your marriage. If the Bible says, this is the way I, I should treat my wife, but I decide to take my cues on how to treat my wife from Hollywood and the culture, then I can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray that God bless my marriage. And he says, my hands are tied. I want to, but I can't because the Bible is the standard by which blessing and curses flow. Is this making sense? But on the other hand, if I build my marriage on the Word of God, then there ain't nothing Satan can do to block the intimacy because he has no authority in our lives. Is this making sense? Apply it to your finances. For those of you that aren't married, think of it this way. If I'm resisting the Word of God in terms of how I handle my finances, you know the Bible says more about money than it does heaven and hell combined. If I'm resisting the Word of God in terms of budgeting and tithing and, and the way I handle my money, then I can beg and pray and cry, oh God, I need a financial miracle. And he says, I want to give you one. But the Bible is the standard by which blessings and curses come. Pick a topic, any topic. If you refuse to acknowledge that there's a very real spiritual world operating. God's in control of it, and he set the Bible as the standard by which blessings and curses come. You, by default, give Satan authority in that area of your life. On the other hand, when you know the truth and you obey the truth, you are, oh, come on. You're free. Somebody say, I'm free. I get to be free. I get to be blessed. And there is nothing Satan can throw at me to change that because the rules were set before the foundations of the world. Jesus said as directly as it can be said. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. You got that? I chose Jesus' side. I'm hearing and obeying his word. And the result is you can throw whatever you want to throw at me, Satan. You can manipulate whatever circumstances you want to manipulate. You can raise the storms all around me all you want. My foundation is on the rock, the word of God. But, but, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man to build his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat up against that house, and it fell with a very great crash. i got to move on. But are you, are you hearing what I'm trying to say to you this morning, guys? Hear, obey, overcome whatever storms come. I'm not suggesting that once you give your life to Jesus that life is all wonderful roses. That's not true. We live in a sin-cursed world. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He has the authority to manipulate circumstances and manipulate the minds of everybody who gives them authority uh, in their lives, and he does it, and he does it pretty well. I'm not going to give him any glory, but he's, he stays at it pretty tenaciously. But he has no authority in your life if you give your life to Jesus Christ. You come under God's protection, and you don't have to worry about the devil, and you don't have to worry about circumstances. You, you, you can rise above those things. Like the guy uh, who I asked one time, how you doing, brother? And he said, well, I, I guess I'm doing okay under the circumstances. And, and I said, well, what are you doing under your circumstances? <laughs> Hello? I told a banker not too long ago doing some business, he said, how you doing, Mr. Wall? And I said, I am so blessed, it's embarrassing. And, and he said, oh, things are going well for you these days, huh? And I said, I didn't say that. What has that got to do with my circumstances? I am just an incredibly blessed human being. And I didn't go into why, but you maybe know why. And if you don't, be glad to talk to you at the altar after the service. Because I know that when I hear and obey Jesus, I walk in favor, I walk in blessing, I carry that blessing on. So how do you get there? You love the Word. You read the Word. You study the Word. You're hungry to know more about the Word. You walk in the Word. And then when you do, you watch the storms swirl all around you, but they don't hit you. Why? Because you're free. Thank you. Free. Because you're free. Truth number one, there's a real spiritual world operating. Number two, God's in charge. Number three, the Bible determines if we live free or in bondage. Truth number four, it's getting wussa before it gets better, okay? Is wussa a word? We'll make it a word. It's going to get worse before it gets better, okay? Death is the penalty for sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages or the payment of sin is death. What are wages? It's that which you earn because of something that you did, right? So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, here's the question I got to ask. I want you to ponder. Does that mean Christians too? Let me ask another question. Uh, can a Christian sin? Don't throw any elbows. Don't look at anybody. Yes. 
In fact, John says, if you think you don't have any sin, you're only lying to yourself. Everybody else knows you do. <laughs> right? That last part was my paraphrase, but you get it. The next question is this then, can a Christian sin without penalty? What did Pastor Farrell say that Jesus said, everyone, 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 did I say everyone? Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The wages of sin is death. He didn't say it's death except for believers. He said it's death. Now, here's where the confusion comes. We uh, historically translate and interpret Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus as only applying to eternal life. But in fact, it applies to the now as well. That word death in the original con- uh, 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 context has a much broader meaning than just eternal life. It's actually the Greek word thanatos, And thanatos means the misery that always accompanies sin. Say it with me. The misery that always accompanies sin. What's he saying? He's saying that when you sin, you introduce misery into your life, into your relationships. That's what happens every time. The the alcohol, the drug abuse thing, the anger thing, all the stuff we've been talking about, the minute you say, I don't care what God's Word says, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to do it the way the culture says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, the minute you do that, you just introduced thanatos, you just introduced misery into your life and into your relationships. And ultimately, it can have an eternal significance But even right now, even today, when you choose to do that, now if I get mad at somebody because they did something or or I thought they did something or I perceived they did something and I, I slander them and I gossip them and I choose to rationalize that away saying, well, it's okay in my case because of this set of circumstances, then what did I just do? I just put myself into the bondage of wondering when that guy is ever going to find out that I said terrible things about him. And I've put myself in the bondage of knowing that one day I'm going to stand and give an account to the God of the universe for how I handled that situation. And now I live in in bondage that becomes a cycle that brings misery and ultimately brings death. The penalty of sin is death. That's why Paul told, let's go back to that Ephesians 4 passage. This time, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He didn't say that because he wanted to deprive us of the joy of sharing juicy gossip, (laughs) right? He said it because when we carry sin into our relationships, our relationships stop being free. Our relationships stop being open. They stop being loving. They take on Thanatos, the misery that always accompanies sin. So, instead of God's blessing taking you closer and closer and closer to one another, bitterness and rage and malice and gossip and all that stuff tears your relationships apart. Is this making sense? I've seen it in friendships. I've seen it in families. I've seen it in entire churches. One of the early churches that Kim and I pastored 30, none of your business years ago, uh, 
One of the families, the largest family in this small country church, got into a squabble over inheritance. And I walked out one Sunday morning. You could feel the tension in the room as that tension began to rise and as, as that fight continued to go on until one morning I walked out to preach and I looked and I saw one of the brothers sitting on this side of the church and the other brother sitting on this side of the church. And I realized almost immediately that everybody sitting on this side had decided to take his side and everybody sitting on this side had decided to take his his side and the whole church was divided and I wondered why nobody was getting saved in those days I wondered why the Holy Spirit had no freedom to move in our house in those days it's because somebody introduced Thanatos and it spread like a cancer that consumed their family their friends and ultimately stood the risk of consuming the very church so i called a meeting with the family and i said cease and desist in jesus name i cannot stand back and watch you divide this church what are you going to do and they wouldn't hear me and they ultimately drugged their mother in the last three years of her life through court battles to prove her incompetent because she changed her will and they didn't like it. And to this day, that family is divided. That's what happened. So here's what I want you to do. I've got to move on, but here's what I want you to do. When you catch yourself, I didn't say if, when you catch yourself holding on to bitterness, when you catch yourself kind of nursing a wound and getting angry about it, thinking, what am I going to do about this thing? When you catch yourself holding on to something that you know is contrary to what the Word of God says, I want you to get a picture in your mind of death all over you. Come on. If you've got something in your hands, put it down. I want you to get your hands loose. Come on, get your hands loose. Start shaking your hands. Come on, get your hands loose. Now I want you to start wiping. Oh, I don't want this on me. Ah, no, I don't want this misery on me. I don't want it on my family. I don't want it in my church. I don't want it in my nation. And what's the answer to our nation? What's the answer to our community? What's the answer to our church? What's the answer to our marriages? What's the answer to our kids? What's the answer to our very lives and the joy that we long for? It is when you hear and obey my words, you are free. But when you don't, you introduce Thanatos, death. Anybody ready for some good news? We need some good news in the house. Any good news in the house? Truth number five, Jesus took on the penalty for our sin. Come on. Jesus took on the penalty for our sin. Come on. Jesus took it on himself. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. He took the thanatos on himself. He took the misery and the pain and the agony on himself. You understand the agony of the cross was not just that he was beaten, as horrendous experience as that had to have been. It's not just because they drove spikes through his hands and feet, as horrendous as that experience uh, had to have been. It's because he carried the thanatos, the misery of every sin that had ever been committed up to that point and every sin that ever would be committed from that point forward across all of the generations. It all centered on that moment which is why for a moment the holy God had to turn his face away 
because all the sin was focused there in that moment. What does it mean? I mean, we understand that he pronounced us free, but what does that phrase mean? He took upon himself the curse. I'll be honest with you. I went a long time not fully understanding what that meant. I mean, I meant I understood what I just said to you, but to really personalize that and to get it, it took a long time until I heard somebody some time ago illustrate it this way. I'll share it with you, and, and then Pastor Farrell's going to come back and wrap this thing up. Um, and can you turn your camera on in your mind for me? Just for a minute, let's just focus an image. Imagine with me that you are the defendant in a courtroom and you're guilty. We've already established that we're all guilty, right? So it shouldn't be too hard to do this. You're the defendant, you're in a courtroom, you're guilty. Just got the word the jury is coming back and you're hoping against hope that they're going to find you not guilty, that your defending attorney did a really good job and got you out, or there's some technicality that got you out, but in your heart of hearts you know you did it and you know the jury knows you did it and there's only one verdict they're going to bring and you know it, but you dread it, so you don't even want to look at them when they come out because if you see their faces, you'll know, so you just kind of bow your head and look away. You don't want to see the jury comes back and is seated and the judge wraps his gavel and he says, Madam Foreperson, have you reached a verdict? And she stands and says, yes, Your Honor, we have. We find the defendant guilty as charged with egregious circumstances, which is to say the only sentence that can be applied in this setting is the death penalty. And your insides turn to mush because you know in that moment you're going to die and you don't want to die. You can feel your family sitting on the row behind you. You can hear your mama weeping softly. But it's real. So you look at the judge in hopes that maybe the judge will do something. Maybe, maybe he'll commute my sentence or something. And you look at the judge with this kind of imploring look. And the judge wraps his gavel and he says, the verdict stands as read. By law, I have no choice but to sentence you immediately to death. There's a whole other wave of fear washes over you as the reality of it hits you in that moment. And then the judge does something strange. He looks you in the eye and says, you know what, I really don't like the life that you've been living but I love you. I can't explain it. You don't deserve it, but I do. So here's what I'm going to do. As a judge, there's nothing I can do about this. I have to fulfill my duties as a judge, but he stands up and he unzips his robe and he takes it off and he lays it across his desk. He says, but as a man, here's what I can do. I'm going to pay your penalty. I'm going to die the death that you just earned. And you can't believe it. You go, really? What does, that, what does that mean? It means you're free to go. Really? No, no strings? No strings. You're free to go. You've been sentenced to death. I'm going to die in your place. Oh, it might be a good thing when you go out there and live 
if you live in a way that honors what I've done, you're free to go. See, that's the gospel. That's the truth about salvation. Everything Pastor Farrell and I have said to you this morning is true. There's a very real and spiritual world that's actually in control of everything, and God's in charge of it. Every blessing and or curse, every life and or death that comes into our lives comes in on the basis of the standard that He defined before the foundations of the world, which is the Word of God, who is Jesus Himself. And yes, when we violate those laws, we introduce death into our lives. But Jesus stepped up and said, I will pay that price for you. Pastor Farrell's coming back to wrap these thoughts up and take it to the next level of understanding. But while he's coming, would you just bow your heads with me for a moment, because I can't leave this moment without giving you a chance to ponder. Would you just close your eyes with me right where you're sitting? Nobody's going to embarrass you. I just want you to think. And then I want you to pray. Maybe in your own words, you can pray silently. I don't care, but maybe pray a simple prayer with me that says, Jesus, thank you for what you did. I didn't deserve it. But I thank you for it. I'm sorry you had to go to the cross for me, but I'm so thankful that you did. Now I'm counting on you by grace to set me free. And my commitment to you is I'll do my best to live a life that honors what you've done. In Jesus' name. And can I tell you now that if you just prayed that prayer, you want to say it or you want me to? You are free. How about that? I want to get old and be just like Jim Wall one day. I, I want to grow up to be like him. What a great message. Are y'all getting this? Now, we're just laying the foundation because in the weeks to come in this series, we're going to really get into the nuts and bolts of how to do this. What does it look like? What do I need to uh, allow God to change in me? How do I need to perceive? What are some disciplines I need to develop in my life? Because we want you to live in freedom. We want you to live in blessing. We want you to not only live in freedom and live in blessing, but the sixth truth that I want to share with you right now in closing is this. Not only do the decisions you make now affect you, they affect generations. Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy, Old Testament. Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 7 through 10 we're talking about the Ten Commandments here. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, and he's giving us the commandment of no other gods, no idol gods. Look at what he says. You must not have any other god but me, God says. You must not make for yourself a, a golden, uh, an idol of any kind, or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth, or in the sea, you must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a what? There's holy jealousy. That is okay, but only one person can have it. God. Okay? So when you're jealous, don't go, well, you know, God was jealous too. 
Our jealousy is what? Unholy. His jealousy is what? Holy. He says, I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Why? Because he wants you free. He wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to live the enslaved life, the bondage life. Look what he says. He goes into the next uh, couple verses and he's saying to us, here are the results of your choices. Here are the results of your choices. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. That doesn't mean God looks at your sin and makes your kids pay for it. God is saying to us, if as parents we don't choose him, we choose the cursed life, we choose a, child, a life that isn't for God, isn't for his word, we're not disciples, he said, then it's going to affect your what? Children. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is what? Affected. Even children in the what? Third and fourth generations of those who reject me. So don't, don't use the scripture or let anybody use the scripture to go, you sin, so God's going to make your kids pay for it. No, you choosing sin, you choosing the way that God said is going to lead to curses and is going to lead to enslavement and bondage, you're going to pass that on. We know that's true, don't we? We see that every day. Let's go on. Uh, He says, but, I love buts in the Bible, don't y'all? Hallelujah. I like butts in the Bible. But I lavish, I know we got visitors here today. You're like, don't do it, Pastor, don't do it. But I lavish unfailing love for, a thou- for how many generations? I lavish what? Unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who what? Love me, choose me, choose me, and obey my commands misery to the third and fourth generations blessing to a thousand generations this is the impact the modern secular psychology uh, world sees this all the time in addictions how that it just seems to go through generation after generation spousal abuse anger issues um, suicide even suicide these negative destructive patterns do not have to be perpetuated. That's what we are here to learn today. This is the foundation we want to lay. You say, well, my mama was like that. Who ever heard that? My mama was like that. You know, my grandma was like that. My papa was like that. You know, our family, and then they'll name their family. You know, our family just like that. It doesn't have to be. As a matter of fact, not only does it not have to be, you bear the responsibility as a child of God to choose to break that cycle in your family. you got to break that cycle. I hope some people will rise up in this sermon series and go, you know what? I love Grandma, but she, she shouldn't have been like that. And maybe that was passed on to her, and maybe she didn't know this or didn't get a hold of this. And you're going to say, you know what? I'm breaking that in my family. I'm breaking that in the generations uh, before me that brought it and the generations that will come behind me. I don't have to follow these destructive patterns. Death, thanatos, misery can be started or stopped at any time in any generation. It's our choice. When we refuse to live God's way, then we bring in that cycle of bondage and death. When we accept Christ and what he's done, we bring in that cycle of blessing and joy and fulfillment in our lives. 
Here's my prayer for you. And Jim's prayer, Pastor Jim, his prayer for you. And I want you to look at it in the scripture. Let's look at Proverbs 13, 22. Here's what we pray for you. A good life gets what? Passed on to the grandchildren. That's what we want for you. I want that for me. I'm telling my boy now, make me a grandchild right now. Make me one. You know, y'all heard that uh, uh, back at Christmas that Brandon's wife uh, was expecting and um, she lost the child and now we're praying, you know, that we'll have a grandchild and I want that to happen. I want that to happen in my family and I want that to happen in your family. Here's what you got to understand. Here's what you got to get hold of today. You're deciding, you're deciding by how you live, by how you commit yourself to Christ and commit yourself to his word, whether you're going to pass on life or whether you're going to pass on misery. How many of you know we need this preaching today? Look at this. I want, I want to pray this over you. Psalm 112 and 6. A righteous person. That says man. You know what it means? Human. A righteous person will be remembered. We pass it on. We pass it on. We pass on our legacy. It's like uh, throwing a stone in a, in a pond. That ripple effect. The decisions you make now are ripple effect. We've heard of a uh, couple of people in history, probably you've heard this illustration before. Let me give it to you again. Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes lived, they were contemporaries. They lived during the same time. Max Jukes told his uh, kids that Christ uh, was not the Messiah, that there was no need to listen to anything he taught. He was no different than any other man. They rejected Christ. He taught his children to reject Christ. And uh, he wouldn't allow his children to attend church. They came to him when they were young and said, can we go to church? He said, no, I don't want you to have anything to do with church, anything to do with God, anything to do with the Bible. Listen to this. At last count, Max Jukes had 1,026 descendants. 300 were sent to prison for an average term of 13 years each. 190 were public prostitutes. 680 were admitted alcoholics. When this story was written, his family at that time had cost the state in excess of $420,000 and they made no contribution to society. Now we've got Jonathan Edwards who did the opposite. He taught his children about God. He taught his children about Christ. He taught his children about the Bible. He taught them this concept, this truth of blessing and curses, freedom and bondage. He taught this to them. At last count, he had 929 descendants. 430 turned out to be ministers of the gospel. 86 became university professors. 13 became university presidents. 75 are published authors. Five were elected to the United States Congress. So there's one blemish. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Two were elected to the Senate. One became vice president of the United States. His family never cost the state one penny, but has contributed immeasurably to the lives of many. So let's break the bad. Who's ready? You, Pastor, you? Absolutely. Absolutely. This has made me look at my life. Pastor Jim's looking at his life, and if he doesn't, I'll point out some stuff to him. <laughs> but we want to break the bad so we can pass on blessing to our families. Father, I pray that over the bridge.